Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. What is life if you don't have art? Give your art to the world because the world needs that. Embrace mentors. Look at the people who have already done what you've done. If you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. I'm here today with Sarah Rocket. She is a lifelong visual and performance artist with over 37 years experience in the arts. Sarah is a teacher of the arts as well, and she has been an adjunct professor of art at both Metro State University and the University of Denver in Colorado for six years. And Sarah is also currently a resident artist at the Red Lion Contemporary Art Center in Denver's Rhino Art District. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. Um, we always start off the show with an inspiration, um, whether it's an artist or a piece of art or even a quote, something that inspires you, something that you live by. What have you got for us? Well, for me personally, the thing that is always kind of stuck with me all the way through undergraduate school and graduate school, getting my art degree, was this particular print. Um, and it's on the cover of Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. It's an image of a ruler that is made up with all of these people. And in Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes had particularly talked about um, this need of the people to support their ruler, but I also like to look at it as the ruler being made up of the people, so the people also have that control back towards their ruler. So that's kind of been a source of inspiration in terms of having a a practice that relies heavily on social justice issues. You said Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan? Leviathan. It was kind of the first uh, piece of writing that really started to develop the idea of Western government. Oh, wow. Yeah. So is it nonfiction, like a political piece? Yes, or? Okay. political piece, yeah. And this was the cover of his... Of the book. Of the yeah. book. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Leviathan. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about you and your work. How did you get started in doing what you do? And, and tell us about your history. Right. Well, I've been an artist my whole life. You know, it's just something that I always gravitated towards. In my younger years, growing up, I did primarily painting and drawing. I've always had this really kind of great ability to be able to look at three-dimensional three space and then translate that back to the flat page and be able to render uh, works that look very realistic. Um, so I kind of followed in this path of being a hyper-realist uh, oil painter okay. <laughs> for a long time, um, mostly all the way through undergraduate school. Um, and then going into graduate school, I actually uh, was going through a drawing program and the professors in this drawing program had this very expansive definition of drawing. They were actually kind of going through this um, period of questioning what drawing actually is and how do you define that because it's not defined by certain design elements or by medium. Um, so I started taking that on into my practice as well and began to work with more of a physical line. So rather than drawing the line on the page, that became a more physical line where I'm actually working with like wire and space. Okay. And that was sort of my uh, avenue into sculpture, <laughs> which is where I gravitate mostly now within sculpture and installation. Okay, yeah. so you started off w more oil, you said. Mm -hmm. Was that like on canvas? Or? Yes, okay. on canvas, yeah. And then um, you can moved into 3D, like yes. I want to get off the canvas. Yeah, I wanna... exactly. Well, I, I just had this need for my hands to be involved in the material. Okay. Like actually having my hands manipulating the material rather than there always being like this pencil or paintbrush in between me and what mm -hmm. was being created. So you have a formal education then as an artist? Yes. Did you start off with art classes in school? Like when you were a kid, did you take art, art in school? Yeah, my um, my parents actually put me into an oil painting class when I was 11 years old. Okay. <laughs> that was my first experience with much more formal painting as a child. Do you remember as a kid, did you color outside the lines or did you stay perfectly in the lines? I think I just did my own drawings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
you said you're 11 when they put you in school for an artist or for an oil painting class. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point did you realize like you wanted to be an artist? Like this is what I want to do. I think I always knew. Like it was just always such a big part of me. There was really no separation between Sarah as the career person or Sarah as the emotional person. It was always Sarah as the artist. So I kind of developed my own identity around being an artist as I was growing up. Your own identity. Yes. So what So what is your identity as an artist? <laughs> um, to change the world, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's what every artist wants to exactly, do, right? Exactly. Right. Um, do you work full-time as an artist now? Um, do you have a job that pays the bills? I, I well? have a day job. Okay. Right? So I, I'm an adjunct professor. Um, so that's primarily what pays my bills. Teaching the art. Yes, teaching art. Um, and then I try to work as much as I can in my studio. Sometimes it's 20 hours a week. Sometimes it's 50 hours a week. It just kind of depends on deadlines and what I have going on in my head that needs to come out. If you could, if you could give up the teaching just to do art full-time, would you? Or do you enjoy teaching enough to continue? You know, I think that's a tough question. It's something that I've kind of been mulling over the last few years as well. I think that, you know, obviously I would love to focus more on my practice, but if I had that option to just kind of teach a class every once in a while, um, I think there's a lot of benefits to being an art professor because you're constantly having to do research to inform your students and Mm -hmm. to keep up with current practices and methods and so it pushes me as an art as an artist to do that research yeah Yeah. if they said we're not going to pay you anymore would you still teach probably not (laughs) (laughs) honest question honest answer it's it's hard It's, it's not it's not an easy thing to be able to teach this very subjective subject that has like no concrete bounds to it do do you i mean aren't there there's rules and do you teach rules and then say break the rules well i think you know in art there's i wouldn't even say they're rules i'd say they're suggestions suggestions (laughs) suggestions and guidelines okay right um because at one point those rules can seem like they apply well but in other circumstances they don't apply well so we're constantly having to evolve our idea of what works in a successful piece of art okay so, like, if you're if someone wants to be a realist, there's obviously rules that they have to follow to yes. create realism. Yes. Okay, but if they if they're like I'm abstract, then it's yeah, our rules toss out the window. <laughs> what caused you, you? You were talking before about the line and or the wire, mm-hmm. and you had a desire to get the 3D space, like get it off the canvas or off the mm-hmm. paper. Can you talk more about that? Like, what is the, what was that like that, that made you decide? Wow, I, I really want to sculpt or work with 3D objects? Um, Well, it was actually my, I think it was my, the end of my first semester in graduate school. Um, And being a graduate student, I was very poor and I had run out of money. (laughs) So I only could use what was in my studio. And I felt like the current drawings that I had been doing, which were line drawings, just felt like they didn't have a whole lot of substance to them, that they weren't really going anywhere. And I happened to have a spool of bailing wire sitting in my studio that I had been carrying around for like 10 years and never touched. And so I thought, why not try it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's let me do something with this. Exactly. <laughs> what, did you, what did you create? Do you remember? Um, what did I start out with? I started out working with silhouettes. So I started out creating flat silhouettes and then um, began extending them from the wall. So that there ended up being the space between the silhouette line and the wall and then starting to work with shadows in terms of that uh, composition. And then even thinking about the wall as like my large drawing page. Okay. Yeah. And you said you have a graduate degree in art? In drawing. In drawing. (laughs) Yeah. Is that one of those degrees that like, I've heard this before, I don't know if it's true, but like for people who are artists or get an art degree, Uh like if you continue on and get further than a bachelor's, like really that's... You get those degrees if you're going to teach or if you want to teach. Yeah, I think that's essentially true, right? If you want to be a professor, you have to have a terminal degree, Uh right? Um, Which the MFA is for artists. And um, I don't know, for me, the, the degree program for graduate school, I chose the graduate school very carefully because I did want to continue learning, not just keeping an eye on refining my practice. 
because I always felt like there was more out there than what I already knew. I still feel that way too. But um, I mean, for me, it was a very invaluable experience because I started out as this, I was almost like a 2D collage drawing person to begin with. And then coming out of it, having these very broad definitions of drawing and being able to think about formally questioning, questioning all of the disciplines. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience for me, and I'd, I wouldn't be the artist I am today without it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. What are some challenges that you've had to becoming successful as an artist? Well, define success. <laughs> I think. Well, then let's back up. What are right. some successes that you've had as an artist? Okay. What are some things that you're proud of in your art? Well, I've been a visiting artist a few times at a few different universities, okay. and those have been really great experiences. Um, I've been able what does a visiting artist do? So a visiting artist comes in, they do a solo exhibition, usually a lecture that goes along with that, um, and in some circumstances I've also been able to do critiques with graduate students at the university. Um, for me, that's a really great thing because I do incorporate these really Um, important social change messages into my work and so having the opportunity to be able to talk to a really large audience especially at that college level um, where they're still a little bit malleable (laughs) in terms of molding their ideas of how they can view the world I think that's something that's really important for me and in terms of other successes I feel like I've had some really good press (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, or, or just a lot of interaction with the press as okay. well and being able to talk about issues of displacement in Denver as the neighborhoods change through mm-hmm. gentrification um, and thinking about uh, class warfare and xenophobia in the process of othering. So I, I think there's been some great dialogue that I've been able to have with the press as well. Do you think that's important as an art, for an artist to get help get their work out or get their name out to, to do press or to get involved with media so that I think so yeah. yeah yeah and you know it maybe it might depend on the the kind of work that you're creating but I, I think in terms of getting people to know your name and um, to want to come see your work obviously I think the press is essential in that process sure yeah what do you think as a as an educated artist as a, a formally educated artist what do you think of that versus like coffee shop art that people post in coffee shops or, or restaurants or things like that just mm-hmm. to get their work out. Um, I think they're just different arenas. Calling somebody an artist is kind of just a very general term in terms of who they want to see their work, where they want their practice to go, and what their goals are with their practice. There's some artists who whose major concern is actually selling their work and being able to put their work out in coffee shops or restaurants is a great avenue for that. Um, to just start that kind of commercial end of the work. Um, there are other artists that are much more introspective, and I kind of feel like I fall in that category of the thing I'm most concerned with is being able to speak in the language of visual art and to constantly try to reform and evolve my own practice in order to do that. So I'm looking more at the philosophy that's going on behind arts and the psychology of being able to speak through it. And that's really what my interest is. I, I never went into this thinking that I was going to have to sell work. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it'd be great if I did <laughs> or if I could, um, but it wasn't like an initial like, okay, I'm going to make this and I have to sell it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the age-old sort of conundrum of an artist. Mm -hmm. Like, they say most artists aren't good business people or, you know, hey, man, I just want to work on my art. Like, I don't care if I sell it. I just want to make art. Like, don't you think it's, do you think it's important for an artist to, to sell their work and to, I mean, if you really want to get your name out there, if you really want to leave a mark or or legacy, if you will, then Mm -hmm. then you're going to have to sell work. You're going to have to, otherwise you'll just be a starving artist. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think so. And again, it just, I think that goes back to the intentions of the artist as well. Um, like, for example, I would make money off of being a visiting artist at different mm-hmm. universities. Um, so that, to me, is like akin to doing a sale for somebody that might have their work up in a coffee shop. So, so you're creating your work for you? It's coming out of you versus... Mm-hmm creating work to appease somebody else kind yes. of thing. Yeah. And a lot of times as an artist, 
do you think it's easy to get to fall into that? Hey, man, I need to sell my art. So <laughs> I want to create art that people want versus this is really the art that I want to create. I think there is there is some of that. Um, for me, at least, like I've always been told, make something that's sellable so that you can sustain your practice, which I think is good advice in general. Um, I kind of fought against that for a really long time just because I felt like anything I would try to make intentionally to sell to other people, uh, it just didn't have like the profound depth that my other work did. And I wasn't okay with that. Um, Just recently in the last year, I finally actually started making some small things, not even thinking about the sellability of them that have become quite lucrative. What do you think about the artist who gets a name for themselves and then people buy the art just because it's attached to that name? I mean, that's what really gives art value, right? Like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the traditional art, you look at it and it has certain aesthetics that you enjoy, but right. I mean, take for example Basquiat. I personally mm-hmm. don't really like Basquiat's artwork, mm-hmm. but because of his association with Warhol and the other artists that he got connected with mm-hmm. who who put him out to the world. Now all of a sudden his art has become super popular. Everybody loves his work. But it's like, okay, that, you know. Right. Name is recognition. Is it really that good? Yeah. Or yeah. is it just because it has a name now? I think, it, you know, the name recognition can take you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if that necessarily means that it's good. I would hope so. <laughs> that enough people have supported an artist and made them recognizable that the work would actually have some substance to it as sure. well. Sure. But I okay. don't think those two things always have to go hand in hand. Right. <laughs> Name right. recognition recognition and then the success of the artwork itself. Right. Yeah. Well I think well there's a lot of times like you may see or one may see a piece of art and go, Wow, this is amazing and the artist is unknown or unheard. And do you think the difference like that and so that piece may cost let's just say it may cost a hundred bucks or whatever because the artist is completely unknown whatever but that artist if it was someone who had a name mm-hmm. that piece would be worth a thousand or ten thousand mm-hmm. or a hundred thousand just because of the name that's attached to it mm-hmm. um, do you think that there's validity in that I mean to some extent I mean you look at artists like Ai Weiwei he's one of my favorite artists um, and I feel like he's doing something important in the world by addressing issues of social justice, um, especially when it comes to recent issues surrounding the Syrian refugees mm-hmm. and the work that he's created around that. Um, so I personally really like him for those reasons. Is every one of his works very successful in terms of being an artwork? I'm not sure, but I don't know. I think, I think there is something to having that name recognition and to somebody doing important or good things within the art world. But, you know, there there is kind of like that flip of the coin, too, that maybe there is some recognition, name recognition out there just through social connections mm-hmm. that maybe doesn't have the substance of the art to really kind of follow it up. I've seen those situations happen, too. What, can, what do you mean, like... Can you expand about like social connections? And- um, so having connections with curators, with gallerists, um, museum directors, uh, that type of thing, where they really want to um, promote uh, their work right from their friends or people that they know. Right. Right. So we talked earlier about successes, and I had asked about challenges. So yeah. let's go back to that. Like, um, what are some things that that you've found challenging as an artist everything (laughs) (laughs) everything's a challenge give me like one thing (laughs) sometimes there's like a good challenge and then there's like a bad challenge good challenge is finding the best vehicle for expression of your work right and really having to delve into that process um bad challenges i think you know it's financially it's a really hard thing to do to be able to continue to have this uh, active practice um, when you're not making a whole lot of money. Right. Um, and also, I think, you know, just trying to get shows and get your work out there can be a very challenging experience as well. Most galleries will uh, schedule things a year to two out, um, which can be a very long time sure. <laughs> for an artist to wait, um, but understandable at the same time. Um, and just kind of like breaking into 
that art scene. And I think that kind of goes back to some of that idea of like the social connections and really developing some sort of social network so that you do kind of have a foot into spaces to be able to um, get to those connections to show your work. Uh, with the social connection, do you th- I mean, it's kind of that idea of it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes. Does that exist in the art world, just like yes. most other places? Abundantly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have to be nice as an artist. Yes, you do. <laughs> you cannot burn bridges. The art world is a very small community. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned as an artist that you would pass on to someone else? It's mm, a good question. Um, I think I've learned to be more open open to accepting critique from others in order to be able to advance my own artistic practice. Um, I think that's something that's really, really important. Um, Being being socially active within the arts community, I think, is huge. Um, Like we were talking about this idea of the social network and the social connections. I mean, you don't get to any of that unless you're actually being active and like going to people's opening exhibitions, even if it's at an inconvenient time for you or a little bit too far away. Um, so actually making the effort to be involved in the art community and be part of the support around other artists as well. Well, let's talk about the social connections. Um, you use the word social. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of social media. How do you, mm-hmm. how important do you think is social media for an artist today? Facebook, Instagram, to get... I think it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's absolutely huge. It's for the reason to get your art out there, to have it be seen. It may not necessarily be seen by MoMA, but maybe one day it would be. Sure. <laughs> you know, you get enough followers on your Instagram or something. Um, No, but I I think it's important. People like to see that artists are active. Uh, I think it's just part of keeping the ball rolling in terms of your art career. Because once you get that ball started, if you take a step back, if you take a break from anything, um, you kind of have to start from square one, going back into it. So I think, you know, the social media platforms really allow artists uh, to allow their practices to be seen and be active. So you, you had said um, getting the work out there and presenting your work to people. Is that something that you found difficult? As a young artist, um, you said being willing to do critiques. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find in talking to artists and even from my own personal experience, having someone else critique your work can be very vulnerable. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Can you talk more about like why that is important for an artist to be involved in yeah. getting their work out or getting critiqued by their peers? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it just in terms of getting your work out, that, that goes back to that name recognition, right? Um, so that's kind of an avenue for creating those opportunities for exhibition and for selling <laughs> as sure, well. Sure. Um, in terms of critiques and bringing other people into your space, I think it, it is a very vulnerable experience just because... I don't know many artists who separate themselves from their art practice, right? You're one in the same. It's not like two different identities, like who you are at work and who you are at home. It's like you're always this artist person. Um, So when there is that, you know, constructive criticism that comes at you, you know, it can have this initial sort of jarring um, appearance to it because it does feel like it's you, the person, that they're talking to, mm-hmm. um, not like the separate artist identity. But I do think that's important because we only have one brain, <laughs> and we have this one brain can only come up with so many different ideas. You can only see your work in your own perspective. So having those other perspectives come in, I mean, it almost can become sometimes like a brainstorming session sure. where there's all of these other hundreds of possibilities that you didn't think of on your own and ways that you can continue to progress your work that you would have never thought of without having that other voice in there. So do you think it's important to have those critiques from your peers, from other artists? From everybody. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I think that um, coming from your peers is really important because they might know you more personally and be able to maybe come from a perspective of already knowing what your own hesitations might be. Um, but from gallerists or museum curators, I think that's a whole other different perspective in terms of what might work in those types of spaces or what a gallery or what a museum might be looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then from the general public, 
I think is that's important as well, at least for me, because I want to know that people are actually getting what I'm trying to say and that they do see it as something important. Right. Yeah. What do you think of the idea of like, um, I mean, the idea of art is to create conversation, right? It's to, mm-hmm. for someone to look at and go, wow, that's moves me in some way or, uh, you know, t- to talk about it. But the idea of like creating art that's, you know, quote unquote sensationalist, that, that's just against the societal norms or just something that, mm-hmm. that in and of itself is shocking, if you will, or, mm-hmm. or, or that kind of thing. Is that something that you think is artistic or do you think that's more of just like, oh, I'm just trying to shock? I think it depends on what the intention of the artist is. Um, I think there are times when maybe the artist feels like the world needs to wake up to something, mm-hmm. you know, and in that sense, you have to give your viewer a smack in the face, <laughs> you know, so creating something that might be shocking or jarring might actually achieve that purpose. I do think sometimes it can be used as a gimmick, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody who feels like they're not getting the recognition that they want. But again, I think that just goes back to that original intention of what the artist is actually trying to get out of the work. Um, with that, with the critique, I know that it's there's a difference between like critique and criticism, mm-hmm. and I think that's for an artist the thing that we have to get over of like the critique is to help, it's for our benefit. And if we're taking someone's input or advice or thoughts on our work, it's not necessarily they're saying that our work sucks or that we're doing something incorrect or whatever. Right. Um, it's more of like, hey, have you thought of this? Like you mentioned earlier, it's kind of a brainstorm session. Mm-hmm. Do you do that with your students? Do you guys do a lot Absolutely. of critiques? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my students say we do too many critiques. They do? <laughs> yeah, why, why do you think that is? Uh, well, because I like to do in-progress critiques. Um, often as an artist like a critique will happen for me once a work is fully completed and people say like these things that are just like great ideas and I'm like well if I had known that sooner (laughs) I could have incorporated it (laughs) Um, so I like to give my students that uh, that opportunity to be able to hear from their peers while they're making the work and not just at the end of the work so that they can um, almost kind of create this more collaborative ideation okay what do you think about like um, I mean they say there's no original thought like mm-hmm. we're just sort of recreating things what do you think of that idea of just like borrowing ideas from other artists or other whatever other genres or things mm-hmm. that have come before and incorporating that into your art I think everything's been done <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I, I'm more a believer in that perspective that everything's already been done but right. our experiences and how we take in the work and then how we filter it through ourselves is how it is expressed uniquely okay so. all right let's dive a little deeper i'm gonna ask you some <laughs> some deep questions okay uh, what do you love most about your art what do i love most about my art i love i love how introspective it is I also love how witty it can be at times. I've always really appreciated witty art, um, and I'm starting to embrace more comedy and jest and satire in my work, and it's something that I'm really, really enjoying doing. It's almost kind of become um, this way for me to connect to a much wider audience because it, it sort of levels the playing field when you start to introduce comedy into something. So it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor or what color your skin is or what your background's like. Um, We can all sort of come together around a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like that it's kind of bringing more people in so that we can actually talk about these more um, critical issues that I'm working with. Sure. Yeah. Uh, What do you hate about being an artist (laughs) not getting enough sleep (laughs) (laughs) is that because you're balancing the career of teacher versus the career of artist exactly yeah you know and and I think you know even in terms of the career of the artist it isn't just going into the studio making work it's doing research Mm. it's writing proposals it's submitting your work to shows it's making those social connections and spending all this this time at events mm-hmm. to be able to create a network. So it's it's a very demanding thing. How is being an artist, how does that affect the other areas of your life? Um, well, my art career always comes first. So everybody else in my life knows that they kind of have to take a backseat to that, which 
is totally not fair. I'm kind of an asshole about it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think that the people in my life understand what I'm trying to do and they see the importance and the care that I take towards being some sort of catalyst of social change. So they appreciate that enough to be able to support me in what I do and recognize that the time that I have with them may not be a lot, but it's still valuable. Okay. You earlier talked about Ai Ai Weiwei, Ai Weiwei, as an inspiration to you. Yeah. What are a couple artists that inspire you and why? Um, Well, obviously Ai Weiwei, but also um, one of my favorite artists is Sarah Say. Uh, She is an installation artist. Sarah Say? Say, yes. She does these really large installations made out of found materials, and I'm also working with found materials, but the way that I was first introduced to her was through drawing. So she, in her earlier works, she was particularly addressing the definition of drawing and what it meant to have something on a flat space or to have something physical that traveled through space and how does this idea of space relate to um, our definitions of drawing. And at the time, I was also redefining my own practice and ideas of drawing. Um, So I really connected to a lot of the things that she was saying and doing. But she's also a really great collector of these found materials. And um, she places them in her installations very thoughtfully and very carefully. And I really appreciate that attention to detail and thinking about how the viewer is going to perceive them and interact with them. As an art, like creating an installation or a show um, that has 3D objects or sculptures or things like that, what do you do after after the show's over? Like if you have pieces and you don't sell them or whatever. Storage. <laughs> you put them all in storage? Storage. Do you ever just like, I'm tearing everything down, this piece is done and it's Yeah, I have. It's destroyed. I have, yeah. I think I kind of go through these different sort of like bodies of works mm-hmm. and some of them are currently relevant and some of them are not and when they get to that stage of not being relevant to what I'm um, trying to do anymore then I'll absolutely tear things apart and resource and reuse materials. There's a lot of recycling that goes yeah. on in my practice. <laughs> yeah. Why should we care about art? Why should you care about art? Well. <laughs> I got a spiel for you on that one. <laughs> All right, later. All right, so art or artists are chroniclers of history. So if we look back at um, any historical issue, whether it was a war or development of a culture, there is art that documents that, even though that culture or the area might be just completely gone. And so I think that's one thing that art is specifically. Uh, special for. Um, The other thing I think is as a catalyst for social change. I think that artists serve sort of as this, not necessarily even just a reflection of society, but they kind of keep society in check. You know, we're always looking at what's going on in terms of our political climate, our social climate, cultural climate, and um, responding to those issues that might be happening there with a more sort of moral attitude Mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that people are keeping themselves (laughs) in check as well but I think you know that's a lot of what my work is actually doing too that's where that's really what I focus on in my own work is um, these social issues and particularly right now looking at ideas of wealth Mm -hmm. and equating that to success and thinking about how success is this very ambiguous term as an artist and as an individual within American society as well, but that um, success is this thing that we can't sort of quantify just in terms of wealth, right? There are like these other components to it, uh, our moral character, um, who we are spiritually, who we are within our family that lead to these ultimate investigations of what success actually is. So that's what I'm currently working on right now and I want people to think about when they come into contact with my work. You talked about political or, or environmental influences or the influences of the world on an artist. Mm-hmm. And your art is more abstract, correct? I guess so. It tends to be more abstract. <laughs> I think it is. Well, yeah. the thoughts of like, we're talking about your wealth, and I was going to bring that up mm-hmm. later, but let's talk about it now. That 
what you're working on and you can make a political statement for example like the statue that was placed on uh, in New York during the presidential campaign of Trump mm-hmm. well, that was perfection <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well without getting into political too much right. on one side or the other but that, that was a blatant like here's that artist here's my political statement it was very blatant because right. it, it was a, it stops and it makes people think right Right. we go through these everyday mundane lives these routines that we have and I think that you know human beings can just get so wrapped up in their own routines that we kind of sure. start to lose sight of everything else that's going on around us whether it's certain issues that are happening out there or even what's occurring with our fellow humankind right as well so i think you know art's kind of that stop and smell the roses moment (laughs) to be able to say hey here's what's going on think about it right there's that like very obvious Mm -hmm. um but then like your work not so like the political statement that you make is maybe not so obvious it's not a statue of trump it's a gold ladder or whatever you know right. what I mean? and so how do you how do you draw that draw that out from inside like i'm making this statement on wealth or our societal mm-hmm. um what did you say earlier like we're grasping for wealth what we think about wealth or our need for wealth here mm-hmm. in society in, in western culture right um it's not so obvious like you you you're very subtle about it like yeah this is my statement but it's right. completely abstract <laughs> I think, you know, in some in some instances, it's abstract. A lot of the ladder that I actually have in up in the current exhibition here at Redline, um, it's called Making It. And I'm hoping that by using a certain symbol, along with some of my design elements, like making it super tall, unreachable, it's very precarious, it looks super fragile, it's obviously unclimbable. Um, along with the title of making it. I think I would hope that any viewer that comes in has an easy time accessing that dialogue Mm -hmm. that's underneath it. Um, I think as an artist, it can be really hard to make your work accessible because there is this idea that art is this elevated thing that only a handful of people should be able to truly profoundly understand. and that this kind of goes against this idea of wanting to have the viewer be able to read what you're actually saying in the work. So I'm trying to balance those two things right now. Um, and comedy is one of the ways that I'm starting to utilize in my work so that it, it is like this inroad for someone to actually be able to start to think what I'm trying to say okay. in the work. Yeah. What do you hope to give to the world as an artist? Perspective. <laughs> Perspective? Yes. Can you be... Uh, yeah. A little more specific. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> Expand upon that a little more? Yeah. Um, Can you give me some perspective on that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, I want to give them another perspective. I want, to, I want to give them a moment to be able to think about how um, they interact with one another and how they treat one another, because it is something that I believe is sort of the basis of how we develop our culture and our society, and ultimately what starts to govern us as well. Um, If we don't put too much care into other people, if we start this whole process of othering, like we have been doing with um, immigrants and refugees, then we're almost kind of taking away their humanness and they lose that importance in our our own worlds. So that's something that the base of what I do is why I do it and I hope that the world sees that at some point. <laughs> Do you think it's important as an artist to um, to be aware of what's going on around them in the world? Absolutely. I think I think most artists are on some level responding to what's happening in the world around them. It might be the political realm, or it could just be within their own hemisphere. What's your process, if I may? Do you come up with an idea first, or like a concept, or like something that you? seen or read or heard that like wow I need to create some art around this and then drive can you kind of walk me through a process there's usually the conceptual component comes first so usually that um, outside inspiration that I feel very strongly about um, and have this great sense to respond to okay let's talk specifically about your current work (laughs) okay (laughs) so Trump is my current inspiration. Well, you know, and it wasn't, it's, it's not just him as a politician or him as a business figure, but all of 
the luxury and wealth that he surrounds himself with, whether it's giving um, a press conference in front of gilded doors, or um, I started looking at a lot of the images from Trump Tower and just like the interior of the space. And actually, um, I remember this was back in, I wanna say this was back like in the 1990s when he first started The Apprentice. And I remember watching this special before the first airing of The Apprentice that was sort of like a life in the day of Donald Trump. And they were going through his whole penthouse and all of this gold and he was talking about how everything is made of gold <laughs> um, and so that's something that I immediately thought of when it came to seeing him on the political scene and seeing that everybody around him was talking about what a great success he was because he had all this money right. and I'm like well money's only one part of it <laughs> you know that doesn't mean anything in terms of intelligence or moral character and so I felt like I really needed to respond to that idea, almost sort of in a corrective <laughs> um, avenue sure. to just explore that idea of the ridiculousness of wealth, that it's this human construct that we've really placed on ourselves. And it's not the only thing that we should be looking at when it comes to success. Yeah, I think here in the West, we've gotten very um, narrow, narrow-minded on what success is, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's been equated with a dollar amount, right? And that dollar amount is always shifting, right? It's higher and higher, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, speaking of politics, you've been involved, or you've been you felt the effect of local politics here. Yes, um, we have here in Denver the Rhino District, which was a warehouse area and, and businesses that artists have come into mm-hmm. and made it cool, made it hip. And now I drove through the Rhino to get here. And there's construction everywhere, and there's been construction everywhere for the last few years, mm-hmm. um, which has now pushed artists out because of the rising prices. How does how does an artist combat that? I mean, artist moves into a slum area, the slum area becomes cool because the artists are there, mm-hmm. and now the artists can't afford to be there anymore, so they have to find a new slum area. I mean, Cherry Creek is a perfect example of that, too. Right, right. I think, um, I don't know. So... Okay, I'm going to go back to <laughs> something real quick just to relate this to sure. another sort of inspiration. Um, Al Gore's movie on co- climate change. <laughs> he has, can be true. Yes. So he has this scene where he's talking about how humans wait to act on things for too long, and he equates it to this idea of a frog in a, a pot of boiling water, mm-hmm. right? So, like, as it slowly heats up, the frog just sits there and sits there and sits there until it's too late to get out, and he's boiling alive. And I think that we kind of have a tendency to do that, not just, like, in terms of climate change, but in terms of everything else, too. Um, so I think that the reason that we're seeing a lot of pushback from artists now, as opposed to maybe five, ten years ago in Denver, is that Denver really is sort of running out of any spaces for artists to be affordable. You know, before it was, well, okay, we'll get pushed out of Cherry Creek, so we'll go over to Rhino, Um, you know, because it's still affordable. But now that the whole city seems to be gentrified and developed everywhere, there's really nowhere for artists to go. So how do we combat that? I mean, I don't think there's a good, clear answer for that. there have been some artist groups that have taken up talking to the city about options, but I don't know that much has really come out of that at all. Um, I think the only thing that could really benefit the um, artist community here, just in terms of affordable space, is the city. I think the city has to step in and say, we're going to do something and we're going to have to do something that actually makes a big difference. Whether it's subsidizing spaces for artists or cutting down property taxes for landlords who rent to artists. But I think the guy at the top has got to do something in terms of just having that power to be able to make any real changes that will affect artists. Sure, sure. What do you think holds most people back from becoming a professional artist or, or from becoming the artist they could really be? Uh, I think it's a, just a lot of fear around um, the idea of not being good enough. Right? It's a very competitive field. Um, so even if you are making good work, it may not necessarily get recognized. So there's just a, there's a lot of uh, challenges there in terms of being able to put yourself out there 
not knowing if you're actually going to get something in return for it and if that thing you do get in return is good or not. So then what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's who wants to be an artist or who's working in art and has that fear? What's, what's something they can do? Ignore everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, this is a conversation I've also had with some colleagues from graduate school, mm-hmm. you know, where we were having like these constant critiques with um, our graduate professors and always sort of had this idea of where we needed to be going because there were people around us guiding us. You know, and when you go off on your own to be an artist, then all of a sudden you're kind of finding who you really are and deciding if that's okay to show to the rest of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a scary thing. And I think that if you try to focus too much on what you think people want to see, you end up not being yourself in your work and you end up being very unhappy either with yourself and or with your work as well. So the only thing you really can do is make work that you love and hope that other people love it too. So take in what others are saying, but don't necessarily let that stop you. Absolutely. And just keep creating. Yes. Just keep creating. Okay. Um, Here's a scenario. If you had 60 seconds with your 20 year old self, what advice would you give? Um, I don't, you know, I was pretty happy with my 20 year old self. <laughs> now that you know, now that you've had some right. time to learn some more wisdom. I would probably tell my 20 year old self to continue to be adventurous, to not let life stop that need to explore the world. Okay. So, and that kind of goes back to the whole just keep creating art and yeah. ignoring other people and just keep pushing yourself yes, to try absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you would have listened to your, to that advice when you were 20? Maybe. Well, when I was 20, I actually moved to New Orleans on my own, not knowing anybody there, and started to build a life for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I'm pretty happy with my 20-year-old <laughs> self, because I was really embracing this idea of exploration, both self-exploration and creative exploration, too. Um, but I would encourage my 20-year-old self to keep it going. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you moved out to Denver. How long? How long ago did you come to Denver? Um, I've been in Denver for five years, but I've been in Colorado now for um, almost nine years. Why yeah. did you come out here? For graduate school in Fort okay. Collins. Okay. Yeah. Did you, when you moved to New Orleans, was it to immerse yourself within the artistic scene? Yes. <laughs> It absolutely was. Um, I had visited New Orleans about six months before I moved, and one of the first things I saw driving into the city was a guy carrying a giant canvas down the street with a bag of paintbrushes, and I immediately knew I needed to live there. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is a place for me. Absolutely. <laughs> Where's someplace else that you would like to live if you could or decided to move? I really appreciate the Pacific Northwest. Um, especially Seattle, yeah. Northern Washington. And I think that's just something like as I've gotten older, I've become come to appreciate that area more, not just for like the outdoor quality, uh, the beautiful islands that are mm-hmm. around um, that area as well. But I, f- I feel like there's a lot of like-minded people there, um, just in terms of my own politics sure. and personal views on social issues. Sure. So I, I've found myself always sort of like in these urban areas where I'm always kind of fighting against the man. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious what it would be like to live somewhere where I wasn't fighting against the man, where the man agreed <laughs> with what right, I was saying. Right. Yeah. Well, you talked a little bit about what you're working on today with the, the wealth. Do you have a theme or a name for the current project? The working title that I'm using right now is Keeping Up with the Joneses. Okay. Yeah. And this is an ongoing project? Yes. So dive deeper into what you're working on and Mm -hmm. where you think that's going to go or where you want to take it. Well, I'm diving deeper into that idea of the ambiguousness of success, right? So I'm looking at that the idea of success and the, the idea of equating it with wealth, just in terms of a kind of base area. Um, and then also thinking about comedy, and that's really kind of what I want to explore more. And so I've been essentially trying to elevate junk to cheapen wealth. Okay. And I feel like there's a good kind of comedic line within there, especially when we think about 
Like if I were going to try to sell something and put it on a wall with a price tag for a viewer, I mean, the viewer is essentially buying, you know, elevated junk, (laughs) which is kind of an interesting dialogue (laughs) in terms of that construct of value. Um, So it's something I want to explore a lot more. And I'm also working on creating um, a much more immersive experience that could be um, interactive installation that'll be an entirely gold room with ridiculous stuff happening throughout. <laughs> uh, when can we look forward to that, do you think? Hopefully within the next year. I was going to say, is this going to be a four-year project? It could be. While Trump is in office? <laughs> you know, it, in terms of when the public actually gets to see the work that comes out of somebody's studio, a lot of that, again, depends on those social connections <laughs> and availability of galleries. So, okay, sure, yeah. sure. Where can people find out about Sarah Rocket? I do have a website at www.sararocket.com. That's Rocket with two T's. Rocket with two T's. <laughs> yeah. And we can just, and I'm sure, I don't have internet right here, but I'm sure we can Google Sarah Rocket. Absolutely. I bet you come up. I think I'm the first one too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My last question what's your philosophy on life? Live it. Live it. <laughs> yes. Good philosophy. Okay, then any last words you'd like to share with my audience? I, I think that, oh, Art is something that we really need in this society, and I feel like it's something within the current political climate that could be undermined with what we're trying to do. So I hope that everybody out there will continue to support artists, continue to support the National Endowment for Arts, so that we can continue to chronicle your history and to help you with social change. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim. All right. Right, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. Have you guys checked out Desert Dwellers yet? Please do. DesertDwellers.org is the website and that song, More Than Anything, the Love and Light remix comes off their down-tempo dub album. Amazing, great stuff. Check those guys out. DesertDwellers.org Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. With your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts. So tell us how we can improve. Remember, always be good to one another. And of course, take time to feed your soul with art. Thank you.